Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us on Two Middle-Aged Men and Their Top Ten. I'm John. And I'm Scott. If you'd like to check out our social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all at the same handle, at 2MAMTOP10. That's at the number 2MAMTOPTEN. If you'd like to subscribe or follow our show, you can find us on Anchor and Spotify the easiest. We are also on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and most other places where you find podcasts. Please follow, rate, and review, and let us know what types of lists you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Full disclosure, our current to-do list is over 375 items long, but that doesn't mean they're all good ideas. What's your favorite genre of movie? What's your favorite year in movies? Who's your favorite actor or actress? There's nothing we won't talk about that's movie related. Now let's get on with the show. And today we are finishing up our top 10 movies from 1982 with our numbers five through one. Right now I have my number five. And I don't know if I should be surprised that it hasn't been listed yet. Uh, but I am a little bit, and it is also um, the third out of four movies that I watched for the first time, and it is Night Shift, 6.5 on IMDb, um, tomato meter 93%, audience score 63%, meta score 62, directed by Ron Howard. Written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. The film stars Henry Winkler, Michael Keaton, Shelley Long, Gina Hecht, and Pat Corley. Uh, a nebbish of a morgue attendant gets shunted back to the night shift where he's shackled with an obnoxious neophyte partner who dreams of the one great idea for success. His life takes a bizarre turn when a prostitute neighbor complains about the loss of her pimp. His partner, upon hearing the situation, suggests that they fill that opening themselves using the morgue at night as their brothel. Against his better judgment, he gets talked into the idea only to find that it's more than his boss that has objections to this bit of entrepreneurship. So when at, at one point in time we added, or I think you added Michael Keaton mm -hmm. to the list, and I was pretty upset by the number of Michael Keaton movies that I had not seen. Yeah. And this starts the list. This is his breakout role. Mm -hmm. And he is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Um, Henry Winkler has gone on to kind of be this character. And I don't know if this is where that started or if he did it before also. Um, it would have if if I would have seen this movie 
far sooner than 2022 than it may have made sense to me seeing him as that type of boring, you know, self-conscious type of guy. Yeah. Because I, you know, growing up, he was the Fonz. Right. Yeah. For, for me. And um, it's hard, even now, it's hard for me to see him to not be cool yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but this is a super fun movie. Um, Shelley Long, uh, for me, I think is kind of a bit against typecast. Um, I know her more from like uh, Cheers. Right. I think. Yeah. And I, which you, you, when you put down Michael Keaton, you said, just start a night shift and go from there. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I did. <laughs> so, Good. yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah. Michael Keaton, I don't like, I don't, I don't, it's amazing. It's amazing how well he played this character because he's completely oblivious to how annoying he is <laughs> at all turns. Yeah. And He's so funny. It's it's so good. But he still has other moments, like like when he takes the the car out for the first time to give someone a ride. He's taking someone to prom, I think. And Winkler's like, "What if we have to go pick up a body?" And he's like, "Is he gonna stay dead or not? Or is he no? Is he gonna go somewhere?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's got he has little bits of of um intelligence mixed in with just his total naivete yeah it it's it was wonderful he made the movie i think oh oh it's still a good movie yeah it's it's a fun movie on its own it's a fun little thing but yeah i mean he makes he he elevates it way i mean to such a higher level um yeah i uh yeah, I love Michael Keaton. We talked about Eddie Murphy earlier breaking out. I think this is even better of a breakout role um, because, I mean, there's, there's just no one like Michael Keaton. It's, just, it's such a, it's just, and even now, like it, it, you know, because now, you know, we know, I mean, other than Beetlejuice, I mean, really mostly Michael Keaton, most of his big movies like Batman um, and stuff like that, that, you know, Birdman and Spotlight, you know, especially now in his later career. Um, is, is, has been more serious, dramatic type work. And so to see him like this, even now is, is, it's breath. It's just, you know, whatever, like, um, it's break. It's almost a breakout watching it now. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, he's just got such great energy and just, I mean, it's literally a star before your eyes. Like, I mean, it's literally yeah. like, oh my God, like this guy was born to do this. I mean, he just has this natural, presence and energy and joy and comedy that's just like you know and like i said i don't really think of michael keaton as a comedian but he was he started out with comedy like you know, i tell I, you like I, he is so funny like every time every time i see clips from the other guys 
he, I, he's, I, I think he, he's beyond Will Ferrell in that oh, movie. Oh, absolutely. He's the best part. Yeah. He's, and, and the whole, the whole running gag of TLC, um, <laughs> song lyrics. Yeah. And every time he's like, I have no idea what the reference is. And <laughs> that, and then him quietly yelling to break up the fight. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he, again, he elevated that movie. That other guys is, is already a pretty decent movie, but yeah, he elevates that again. But yeah, this, to be honest, this, yeah, this movie didn't make my backup or, or original list. And honestly, normally for the lists, I do my favorites, the movies that I like the most with the years though, I'm doing like what I think are the best movies. And so that's why this didn't make my list. If this had been like I might normally like what my favorite movies are, this definitely would have made probably around number five, four or five. Um, as far as just the most entertaining, fun, my, you know, personal favorites. Um, because yeah, it is, it is just a lot of fun. And it's, it's mostly because Keaton is just, uh, just, he's just a, a force to be reckoned with. He's just, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you finally got around to watching it and, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Such. I knew you would. A couple of things I need to add. Uh, one of the prostitutes is played by Jade Barrymore, which is Drew Barrymore's mother. Um, <laughs> and then also there are bit parts uh, with first-time screen appearances by Shannon Doherty, who plays like a uh, like a Girl Scout type person. Hmm. They're not the Girl Scouts, but right, it's supposed to be something and, similar. And then during the party at the um, office, uh, Kevin Costner plays one of the college students, one of the frat guys. And if you're if you're watching close enough, you can pick them out, hmm. I think. And that's pretty neat. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew that. That's cool. And this also starts um, the um, Ron Howard Glazer, Brian Glazer mm -hmm. relationship. Yep, yep. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, it's, and it's really Ron Howard's first movie. I mean, he made a couple other ones, I think, before this, but I think this was his first, like, major. First Hollywood studio picture. Yeah, because yeah, I think he did some Roger Corman um, lower budget work, but yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a good first movie for him, too, which is interesting because it's a, it's a kind of an R-rated raunchy movie, and he, you know, it's, he's known for being Opie on, on, yeah. Uh, you know, Andy Griffith show and being, um, I can't remember his name, Richie on, or is it, is it Richie on, on happy days? And then, um, I think so. And then, you know, and then you got, uh, Henry Winkler also known as, you know, the Fonz. And so it's like, it's kind of weird, definitely kind of going the other direction. <clears throat> so anyways, yeah, good, good movie. I'm glad. Yeah. Like I said, I'm so glad you finally got around to, to watching it. All right. Moving on to my number five, and again, kind of switching gears here. Uh, my number five is a much more serious uh, movie, um, and it is The Verdict, uh, with an IMDb rating of seven point seven, uh, with an eighty-nine percent tomato meter and an eighty-seven, or an, I'm sorry, an eighty-eight percent audience score, uh, seventy-seven meta score. 
Uh, it was directed by Sidney Lament. Uh, screenplay by David Mamet, based on the novel by Barry Reed. Uh, stars Paul Newman, Charlotte Rampling, Jack Warden, James Mason, Milo O'Shea, Lindsay Krauss, and Edward Binns. Uh, Frank Galvin is a down-on-his-luck lawyer reduced to drinking and ambulance chasing. Former associate Mickey Morrissey reminds him of his obligations in a medical malpractice suit that he himself served to Galvin on a silver platter. All parties willing to settle out of court. Blundering his way through the preliminaries, he suddenly realizes that perhaps after all the case should go to court to punish the guilty, to get a decent sentiment for his clients, and to restore his standing as a lawyer. So again, kind of like what I said about the long uh, Good Friday, the plot is pretty much your typical um, plot of this kind of genre. In this case, the you know courtroom drama. Um, although there is some, I mean, there there is some good stuff with the court. Um, you know, it, it is done very well and it does hold interest and there is some suspense and some whatever, but the movie really belongs to Paul Newman, um, who gives a phenomenal performance, um, as a, both as a kind of wash up lawyer and as an alcoholic, um, because it's not your typical alcoholic performance he feels like a real alcoholic. You don't see him overly drunk um you know falling over or slurring or you know there's no big scene like that that you would expect but there's there's always like a, a pain and a sadness and just a, a slowness and just like you're watching a real drunk like a real life like like somebody like that would actually you know look like um it's it's amazing it's a very quiet subtle performance um but it's, it's fascinating. And just, and just watching him, there's just so many moments in this movie where it's just, it's quiet and you're just watching this guy like realize where, what he's become and, you know, um, what he used to be and just um, kind of taking stock of his life. There's also times where you see him realizing what he's in and, and, and seeing himself kind of over his head uh, and there's there's just a lot of, of just quiet acting work that's just it's just amazing. Um, and Paul Newman, I've got to say, is uh, I, I've never really thought of him as one of my favorite actors until I watch one of his movies. And then I just remember, like, how amazing he is and how great he is. And no matter what movie I'm watching him in, whether it's Nobody's Fool or Road to Perdition or this um, you know, he's just got such a great, like, no matter what he's doing, he's just, he's just always on 100. He's just, it's always fascinating to watch him. Um, and I, and I said quiet a lot because in, in, in a lot of his movies, he does a lot of subtle work. He's not an actor who is grandiose about it. I mean, he has some scenes like that in some of his movies, but it, it's, it's his quiet, just, he really grasps the character and creates characters and just becomes them. And you always, it's weird because it, he's always Paul Newman. He's never playing a character that's too far removed, but yet it's, he's always in that character. You always see that character. You don't see Paul Newman, which is, it's just, that's, that, that to me is a, the skill of a great actor that you don't need makeup. You don't need great, you know, uh, accents or whatever to create a character. Uh, you just, you just do it through acting and, and 
subtle ticks and facial expressions and stuff and i don't know this movie i was i was surprised i'd seen it before and didn't really think much of it i i you know it was i mean it's a good courtroom movie but like i said watching it this time i really was pulled into specifically paul newman's performance and just i was hooked it just i was over like emotionally and just it was just a it was a great movie because of paul newman so have you have you seen this movie it <coughs> it is on it's on my to watch list um if it had been free streaming somewhere i would have watched it yeah um i now now i'm very interested in watching all of the paul newman movies for some reason but yeah me me too i think yeah i mean to right now within the last 15 20 years i think paul newman is known as the food guy the food label guy right the salad dressing and yeah and cookies and tomato sauce and yeah and i mean his last which it's not unusual because his last like roll roll was in cars Mm -hmm. in 2006 yeah in his last you know movie was road to perdition yeah which was 20 years ago so yeah yeah i mean it's it's interesting to see because it almost it almost makes me think without knowing for sure but it makes me think like he's he's the tom hanks of his generation before yeah before we had tom hanks there was paul newman yeah yeah that's hadn't really thought about that but yeah that's that's a pretty good comparison really good comparison actually yeah which yeah it's kind of uh i don't know if ironic is the right word but it's kind of interesting that, that his last movie was with tom hanks so um but yeah yeah that and watching road to perdition again was really made me rewatch uh paul newman movies and probably what kind of really pushed me to rewatch this um because i might not have if i wasn't so fascinated with paul newman and and was excited to to watch a you know watch a paul newman movie but uh so yeah, because like I said, this this wasn't originally on my list when I was, you know, initially from memory thinking of movies. Um, but after rewatching it, it it immediately went in my top five um to number five. So but uh let me see. Uh the movie is ranked number four on the American Film Institute's list of 10 greatest films in the genre courtroom drama. Uh Paul Newman's performance ranked number 19 in Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances. Uh, it's ranked number 254 on Empire's 500 Greatest Movies of All Time. And it is ranked number 75 on the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Cheers, America's Most Inspiring Movies list. So, 
Oh, and I guess, although the movie is titled The Verdict, I guess the original script ended, like, just with the final courtroom scene of um, Paul Newman pleading his case and then just ended without a verdict. And the producers were like, our title is literally The Verdict. And you're, you've delivered us a movie with no verdict. Like, they were like, they liked the idea of that. And they thought it was an interesting approach, but not for a movie that was called The Verdict. So I just, I thought that was interesting that, <clears throat> uh, and obviously they, you know, David Mamet went back and added The Verdict and it, you know, but yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's all I got. All right. Um, my number four is Rocky Three, six point eight on IMDb. Tomato meter is sixty-seven percent. Audience score of seventy-four percent, and a meta score of fifty-seven. Written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, the film stars Sylvester Stallone, Ty Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, Burgess Meredith, Tony Burton, Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, and Ian Freed. Uh, this is the movie that gave us the song Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Mm -hmm. And this film also birthed Mr. T's catchphrase, I pity the fool. Uh, Rocky faces the ultimate challenge from a powerful new contender and must turn to a former rival to help regain his throne as the undisputed fighting champion. So this um, what what Stallone had said is he had ran he had kind of ran out of ideas at this point because Rocky Rocky was the nobody getting a shot and mm -hmm. Rocky two was the nobody taking the title. So this movie is essentially based more on the boxing part of what's happening in the Rocky universe, where the first two had more, uh, I don't want to say heart, but more like um, story. Yeah, more and more character. More character. Yeah. This one... Uh, has more like sport driving, yeah. Um, and it's sort of for me, almost any Rocky movie is going to be close to the top 10 of that year that it came out in. Um 
this this is also Carl Weathers' favorite Rocky movie because it humanizes him, mm-hmm. or he felt that it humanizes him more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we we talked a little bit about Stallone earlier, and. It's it's still with with the type of characters he plays. It's still even now. It's been over forty years, right? Yeah. And for me, it's still kind of surprising that he writes and directs these things yeah. along with starring in them. Yeah. And and even now, because you know, there's a running or not the running joke, but there's kind of that thing where the Expendables came out, and he's like, "Well, I can't be in a movie, so I'll just write and direct it." Well, he's been doing that his whole career. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that's not new. Yeah. Um, and then he, uh, another bit of trivia. I don't know how true this is, but he said his, um body fat percentage was like 2.7% during the making of this movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could believe it. He looks pretty. Mr. T was just an animal. He's jacked. He won the role out of, they auditioned like 2,000 people yeah. and they gave it to him and I can, I can completely understand why. Um yeah. Yeah, what do you think? And the, and there's a cool scene with Hulk Hogan, which is yeah, that he they do like a charity. Yeah, thing. you just you just we'll just go around in a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does it, did anybody tell this guy this is for charity? This is this is or whatever. Is yeah. Um. Again, had I been doing, and maybe 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 I'll rethink how I do my uh year lists going forward, but. uh but if I'd have been doing my favorites, this would have pro- this probably would have been my number four. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- this is my favorite Rocky movie as far as, like, personal it, favorites that I enjoy. It. It's, um, it's the consensus of the Rocky fan is this is the best Rocky movie. Yeah, I I feel that. I mean, I think that the first movie is a better movie you know, on, as, as far as, you know, the character and, and whatever, but as far as a Rocky movie, as far as the whatever. Yeah. I mean, this one's just, it's more entertaining, just more fun, more crowd pleasing. It's got a lot of, you know, colorful, fun characters. I love the, the friendship that forms between Apollo Creed and Rocky. Um, in fact, I personally think that the series should have ended here. I, the, the ending of this movie is just a perfect ending. Um, Everything after every movie after this was kind of just an afterthought. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, it was more just like, oh, you know, the movie, the movies make money. We'll just do some more Rockies or whatever. Communism's um, bad. Yeah, which and I and I hate I hate Rocky Four. We've talked about that before. I know that's whatever. I think it's just a, a bad <clears throat> movie. But um, but anyway, but the ending here when it ends with you know with with Apollo Creed and Rocky having a, a rematch and it just they, they oh yeah punch, yeah. And it just freeze frames. That to me is that's the perfect ending 
as you know and especially for these three movies because these three movies are pretty much are the end of that arc of you know it's that started with like you said rocky going against the whatever and then beating him in the second one and then you end this with the you know the rematch we don't need to see it we just know that they're you know they're both great boxers you know um so yeah but yeah it, yeah this is a really good movie i love it I, you know i like i said i'm, I'm a big fan of sylvester stallone as far as entertainment i mean you know him him and arnold were a big part of like for me were the 80s and you know early 90s for me that was um my favorite movies my favorite you know whatever so um yeah so yeah like i said had i had i been doing my favorites this definitely would have would have ended up on the list so i'm glad it's on yours so all right but since i chose to be all serious and go with the like <laughs> great movies once again i'm going to switch gears back to some super serious make you know you get to be the fun guy and i gotta be the, the, the you know the serious so, wait, so who's siskel and who's ebert i i i don't know Oh, okay. Um, I, I guess I, I'm probably Siskel and you're probably Ebert because uh -huh. um, Ebert tend to like the more fun stuff and Siskel was a lot more. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I guess I'm more Siskel. But anyway, my number four is uh, the super serious Sophie's Choice uh, with an IMDb rating of 7.5 uh, with 78% tomato meter and 85% audience score and 82 meta score. Uh, directed by Alan J. Pakula, a screenplay by Alan J. Pakula, uh, based on a novel by William Styron, uh, stars Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein, Peter McNichol, and Josh Mostel. Uh, Sophie is the survivor of Nazi concentration camps who has found a reason to live with Nathan, a sparkling if unsteady American Jew obsessed with the Holocaust. They befriend Stingo, the movie's narrator, a young American writer new to New York City, but the happiness of Sophie and Nathan is endangered by her ghosts and his obsessions. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's that. So yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Sounds super fun. No, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so fun. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I don't really know what to say about that. I mean, the movie is really just about these three characters. Um, you've got this young kid who's uh, this, you know, dreams, you know, he comes to New York, dreams of being a writer, has all these fantasies. Um, and then he meets this, this couple who at first are arguing and fighting. And then the next minute they're dancing and very colorful and cheerful. Um, and he's very intrigued by them. And then they start, so they start telling stories about the Holocaust and their pasts and um, well, I mean, not just the Holocaust, but like things that happened before and leading up to that and their troubled, haunting past. Um, and so the and, and, and we see in flashback these scenes as they're being told. And so we um, and it's weird. And, and, and so we see that and then we see this kind of fun, playful facade that has been put on. Um, and then as the movie goes on, that kind of that facade kind of breaks and we learn just how damaged and how broken these people are. Um, and the movie is interesting, too, because it's told in flat, like it's narrated in flat, like it's narrated by the by the young writer. 
um, as a grown-up. So we're actually, so it's like, we're hearing his story of this in his past. And then we're also getting the narrative of, you know, further past. Um, it's an extremely powerful movie. Uh, I mean, Meryl Streep won a much deserved Oscar. I mean, this, this is the movie that I, that I feel like cemented that it's pretty much the movie, the go-to like Meryl Streep, like the cemented her as the great actress she is. I mean, she's done many great things, um, uh, you know, probably before and definitely since, um, but I think, I mean, this is the movie that you, you don't need to list anything but Sophie's Choice to, to, to show how great an actress she is. I mean, she, she learned Pol a Polish accent and actually learned to speak German and Polish in order to have the proper accent. And, uh, but it's, I mean, it's not just the accent. It's, I mean, she kind of like what I said about Paul Newman. I mean, she, she does have the benefit of the accent here, but I mean, it, it, the, the performance is in her eyes. It's in her tone. Um, the way she can go between this, this sweet, laughing, lovable character to the, you know, uh, a person to this broken, sad. I mean, it is, and it's just so believable and so uh, moving once again. I mean, this, the, the movie itself is pretty powerful, but, once again, this is one of those that, that it really is driven home by that performance. Um, but I mean, all three performances are really great in their own way. I mean, Kevin Klein um, is sort of what we see him. I mean, this was his really his first major role. Um, but there is some of that, you know, that goofiness of him. But there's also a, a really dark, serious side to him here, too. Um, that's really impressive. And um, and Peter McNichol, who plays the young writer, I saw him first in Ghostbusters 2. And then he was also in uh, Dragon Slayer. Those are the two main movies. And so to see him in this, which I think this was his first movie, too, or one of his first sort of like it's kind of a, a jarring thing to see him because he's known for being kind of goofy, too. And like um, he's very, you know, serious and and whatever here. So it's. um. Uh, but yeah, a couple other things here real quick. Uh, Meryl Streep's performance as Sophie is ranked number three on Premiere Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances of All Time. Um, in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the number one, uh, the number 91 greatest movie of all time. Um, and this is kind of weird. After seeing him in this film, John Cleese decided to cast Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda, which, uh, I mean... I can kind of see, like I said, he does have some of that goofiness here, but I don't know that I would have watched this and think like, oh, this is the perfect guy for who he plays in uh, Fish Called Wanda. But that movie, he won, he won a Best Actor Oscar for A Fish Called Wanda. So I guess that worked out good for him. But anyway, have you ever seen this movie? Uh, no, it is on my to watch list. I think it's available to watch somewhere, isn't it? It's on Showtime. Oh, Showtime. Okay. I don't. Uh, I don't have Showtime. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Anyway, I did really watch this. I mean, I don't know where I rewatched. I must have found a, a way, a creative way to find it. But, anyways, it's definitely. Huh? Like I said, it's another, it's, it is super serious. It's like two and a half hours long. So it is one of those movies that you got to be in the mood for. 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, it is a great movie and it is one that should be seen. I, I, I didn't see that it's on the 1001 movies you see before you die. I'd, I'd be surprised that it's not, but I don't know. I, like I said, it didn't, didn't come up. I didn't see it on there or, you know, it wasn't one of the things. So anyway, really good movie. I brought us down. Hopefully you've got something that's going to. I, yeah, I do. Pick, pick us back up. Uh, my number three is the last of the movies that I watched for the first time. Um, and my next three are seven or higher on IMDb. And it seems like you're liking seven movies. So <laughs> this one may be in the vicinity of what you got going on but uh, my number three is my favorite year a 7.3 on imdb tomato meter of 96 percent with an audience score of 84 percent and a meta score of 62 directed by richard benjamin written by norman uh, steinberg and dennis palumbo the film stars Peter O'Toole, Mark Lynn Baker, Jessica Harper, Joseph Bologna, Bill Macy, Lainey Kazan, Anne DeSalvo, and Basil Hoffman. Benji Stone is the junior writer on the top-rated variety comedy show in the mid-50s. It's a new medium and the rules were not fully established. Alan Swan, an Errol Flynn type actor with a drinking problem, is to be that week's guest star. When King Kaiser, the headliner, wants to throw Swan off the show, Benji makes a pitch to save his childhood hero and is made Swan's babysitter. On top of this, a union boss doesn't care for Kaiser's parody of him and has plans to stop the show. So the, let me get into some specifics first. So this is uh, produced by Mel Brooks, and it's based on his time on the Sid Seizure show. Um, which you can tell by the the movie show's host is named King Kaiser, which is the literal German translation. Kaiser is the German translation of Caesar. Um and I don't, I don't know the right way to say this, but um, I just forgot the guy's name. Mel Brooks. So <laughs> I forgot Mel Brooks. Yeah. So Mel Brooks is Jewish. Right, and so he's a Jewish writer, and there's a 
an idea or a um, not idea, but there's a running gag in uh, entertainment media that Jewish people are good comedians, good writers. And of course, Benji Stone's Jewish. His actual name is Steinberg or something like that. He changed it. So it'd be easier for him to be on the credits. Um, uh, Mark Lynn Baker, this is his first major role in a movie. Um, he is best known for uh, Perfect Strangers TV show um, with him and his Greek cousin. One of one of the things that drew me to this movie, for one, it's available on HBO Max. For two, um, I I know, of course, I know who Peter O'Toole is, mm-hmm. and I, and before watching this movie, I had an idea of what type of actor he was, what type of guy he was, and watching this movie, that was totally blown away. Like yeah. this was this was crazy. Um, and I don't. And the thing is, is I don't know if that's usual for him or not. Which, if it's not, then that makes it even better. But he was yeah. he was magnificent. Like you're talking about Paul Rudd playing an alcoholic and Paul being Newman. able to. Paul, yeah, Paul Newman. There's yeah. a lot of great Pauls in the industry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Paul Newman playing an alcoholic. Um, it is, uh, of course, it's more campy in this movie, but Peter O'Toole does the same thing. But he's got this suaveness. Like he's in the movie, he's, you know, mid 50s or so. And he's just, so in tune with himself and the ladies <laughs> and the guys like he's he's just incredibly um smooth First, yeah and it's just a fun little movie and you see like you also see Benji evolve from like he has this crush on um, a girl named Casey who works on the show, and it's not just a crush; it's like open. It's like he's he's, you know, it's borderline stalking where <laughs> where he's like, "Why didn't you tell me?" Da 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 da, you know, and and then the guy's like, Peter O'Toole's character is like, just be interesting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it works and yeah. yeah and it's everybody is lives happily ever after what do you think yeah uh no yeah this is a fun fun little movie i didn't i, I didn't it didn't come up for me for this list um i did i did also uh see it for the first time i mean it's been a few years now 
Uh, but yeah, this, this is one of those movies that I hadn't, you know, didn't really come across my radar um, until a few years ago. And I watched it and yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it was just, it was, the best way I could describe it is delightful. It was just so pleasant and fun and just entertaining. Um, and I, I too, uh, I mean, I've seen, Peter, Peter O'Toole is known for like being a great, you know, actor. I mean, he was in Lawrence of, Arab, uh, of Arabia and I mean, he's just, you know, he is this great, one of the great British actors. Um, I have seen him in a couple I think the first thing I actually saw him in, though, it was a movie called King Ralph with John Goodman. Um, <laughs> but he plays and he plays kind of this this kind of role in it. Um, he's a little more. Um, he's a little more stuffy, more more kind of in, in line with his usual work with just a slight comic twist. Um, but the first thing I did see him in was kind of that kind of comedic thing. Um, but, yeah, I definitely knew him more as. um like stuffier for lack of a better word shakespearean yeah yeah just that serious that serious type of guy and he is i mean he is a great actor um but yeah so see i had this a similar reaction um i think to what the, the, at least the way you described it i think i had this similar reaction it was just yeah seeing him it was just like it, yeah i just i didn't it was just so off what what i pictured him being um and yeah but it, but he's so fun and he's so i mean he's just as great just as he commands the screen just as well being this kind of more silly or, or, or what, I don't know, uh, just more playful character as he is doing the great Shakespearean type stuff. He just, he just has that natural presence. And, and I think it's even better. Like, you know, I think the movie's even funnier because you would have that expectation of him. And then, so it's even more outrageous um, had it been somebody like Robin Williams or something playing this character, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, yeah, good. Another another great surprise. Uh, yeah, because that's that is a really fun movie. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think that was a good bring back from from Sophie's Choice. So, <laughs> are you are we gonna get another downer? Nope. Nope. Okay. No, a little, a little, a little. Not quite as goofy, but definitely not not in that range it's it's an it's another fun um entertaining movie um my number three this actually this actually appeared on my uh 80s comedy um list um and number three i've got diner uh with an imdb rating of 7.1 uh with a 93 percent tomato meter and a 78 percent audience score uh it was directed by barry levinson screenplay by barry levinson uh stars steve gutenberg mickey rourke kevin bacon Daniel Stern, Tim Daly, Ellen Barkin, Paul Reiser, and Michael Tucker. Uh, in 1959 Baltimore, five steadfast friends continue to meet at an all-night diner, something they've been doing since they were in high school. As they get older, life begins to change for them. Shrevy is the first to get married, but soon realizes that he has absolutely nothing in common with his wife, Beth, and they have nothing to talk about. Eddie is engaged, but will only marry his fiance if she passes a 140-question test on his beloved Baltimore Colts. Billy is completing his master's degree and comes home early to be with Barbara, who he learns is pregnant. She won't marry him, however. Boogie's main interest in life are women and gambling, but he owes an impatient Boogie $2,000. Tim is wasting his life away living off his trust fund and is drunk most of the time. Somehow they work through all of their problems. Um, so yeah, once again, I, I, I've talked about this movie before, so I won't go 
um, too much into detail about it. Um, uh, other than I just think it's a great movie uh, all around. Um, it's uh, it's yeah, it's another one of those just character driven movies. It's 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 almost like it's almost like a precursor to Kevin Smith, um, but but le less raunchy, more uh, more on the touching. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, realistic character side. I think, you know, Kevin Smith obviously goes more outrageous with his, um, uh, but it's definitely got that same kind of feel of just, um, and it makes sense because Barry Levinson, like Kevin Smith, basically just made a personal movie about his life. Like this is, this is about him and his childhood friends. A lot of the stories and a lot of the things that happened, happened to him or friends of his, um, and so it has that personal touch. It just has that natural feel of how people really talk and how people really act. And, um, you know, just kind of that, that um, there's not really a plot. It's just characters living their lives, um, you know, with some, you know, movie style humor. And, you know, obviously like, you know, they're a little more charming and more, you know, uh, witty, wittier than, you know, people in real life because they have the benefit of a, you know, of a screenwriter, but, um, but yeah, it's just an immensely entertaining movie. This is one of those movies that I just, it will never be old to me. Like, it's just, I, I mean, it's not like I watch a lot, but it's, it's definitely a movie that I would watch, um, and, and would love to watch again. I don't think I could ever get, get tired of it. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't sit and watch it every day. Um, <clears throat> But I mean, if I watch this movie once a year, I'd probably be 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 fine with that. It would, you know, it'd be nice. It's kind of like returning to old friends, you know. It's just got that kind of feel of just, you know, and it and it helps that it's, you know, packed with, you know, actors who have gone on to, you know, become famous faces. So you know, they're all recognizable uh, actors. At the time, none of them were. This this was a lot of the, the first movies for a lot of these people. So uh, it's kind of cool for that that too. Um, but yeah, I know I know you had you hadn't seen this movie last time. I was hoping this might have been one of the movies that you ended up watching um, for the for the list. I was almost kind of hoping you'd steal it, you know, because that meant you you watched it. But so I take it you still haven't. haven't no, it's it. still on my to do list. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, once again, I I, I highly recommend. And if, like I said, if nothing else, watching all these young, all these you know well-known actors when they were you know starting out, it's it's just fun, just in that sense. But it's also got some really fun characters and really good good stuff. So yeah, but yeah, that's that's all I got for that one. If you want to hear more, just check out our '80s comedy list, and you can hear more about um this but uh, actually i will add i mean i think i brought this up last time but since you mentioned mel brooks um barry levinson wrote and directed this movie having started writing the screenplay during the mid 80s um after the suggestion of mel brooks with whom levinson had collaborated during the mid to late nine or mid to late 70s on both silent movie and high anxiety so it was with he he gave the script to mel brooks and it was or, or he told the idea to mel brooks and it was hit on his pushing that he said there's a movie here you should write this like you should do this and like insisted like fired him like and said you know you need to go do this <laughs> and so yeah 
thought that was kind of cool. <clears throat> anyway, that's all I got on that one. All right, my my number two. Um, I think I think it's shown up on a list before. Uh, I just looked through mine. It wasn't on mine, but I think we've talked about it. I have a feeling I know what it's going to be, but I'm like, go ahead. Yeah, my number two is Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Did you have that on? I had it on my part twos. You had Into Darkness, and I had this one by whatever, for whatever. I just, I, that's why it stands out to me because I remember. Well, part two, uh, sequels better than the original no, or no, part just twos? Part, just part two. It was just part twos. Okay. All right. <laughs> cool. Uh, 7.7. It, it is a sequel that's better than the original, but. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, 7.7 .7 on IMDb, tomato meter of 86%, audience score of 90%, uh, meta score of 67, directed by Nicholas Mayer, based on a show created by Gene Roddenberry with screenplay by Jack B. Sowards and story help from Harv Bennett and Samuel A. Peoples. Although they, I believe they um, forced Gene Roddenberry away from this movie because they think he was the reason the original motion picture failed. Um, this film stars William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, Walter Koenig, George Takei, Nichelle Nichols, B.B. Besh, Christy Alley, and Ricardo Montalban. It is the 23rd century. Admiral James T. Kirk is an instructor at Starfleet Academy and feeling old. The prospect of attending his ship, the USS Enterprise, now a training ship, on a two-week cadet cruise does not make him feel any younger, but the training cruise becomes a deadly serious mission when his nemesis, Khan Noonan Singh, infamous conqueror, conqueror from the late 20th century Earth, appears after years of exile. Khan later revealed that the planet City Alpha 6 exploded and shifted the orbit of the fifth planet as a Mars-like haven. He begins capturing Project Genesis, a top-secret device holding the power of creation itself, and schemes the utter destruction of Kirk. So this movie is not just a sequel to the motion picture. It's also a sequel to one of the original television show episodes. Mm -hmm. um, Ricardo Montalban um, played Khan in the original TV episode. And they wrote the script 
not knowing whether or not Ricardo would come back for the film or not. And he was kind of nervous because he was in the middle of filming um, Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island. Yeah. So they sent him that episode that he was in and he watched it on repeat and like after eight times he finally got back into into the swing of things and one of the um one of the things you might notice is Khan is never him and Kirk are never they never share a screen together mm-hmm. and that's because Ricardo was also filming Fantasy Island at the same time so he filmed his stuff separately and they used that you know tv projection type yeah thing to help that and i also read that most of his like his his species or whatever is supposed to be you know genetically um better yeah, superior. Superior. Well, a lot of his gang of people with him were Chippendale dancers. So they're all big and buff. Yeah. But um, for until until Star Trek was released um the jj abrams star trek there was a distinct way to know whether or not a star trek film would be good or not and that is if it were an even numbered movie yeah and i believe that started with this film Mm -hmm. and the only reason Leonard Nimoy agreed to come back is because they agreed to kill him and he didn't want to come back because of how Star Trek the motion picture went Yeah. well he had such a good time and a good experience filming this movie he wanted to come back (laughs) and so that's how you know, Star Trek three came about. Yeah. But um well, he also wanted to direct too. Yeah. So he so he was able to direct the third one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, with another stipulation or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. So if if you've seen In the Darkness, you kind of know what this movie's like. Yeah kind of kind of i was gonna say kind of it's uh it's, it's still you could st- i think you still watch this and it's it's you know, not re- you know, there's still a lot of surprises and a lot of stuff but you'll, you'll definitely notice some similarities. I, th- I think there's more intellectual type stuff yeah in this one yeah um, yeah we've got all the genesis stuff and um yeah some of that and then the the, the father son with uh with captain kirk and he learned you know whatever and yeah yeah so yeah 
That's yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, yeah, I mean, I love this movie. Um, I, I originally had it on my list at number eight, um, just because, like I said, I was doing, you know, how much, how, like, the level of greatness of the movie, not so much my preference. Um, and then when I watched Poltergeist and, and wanted to add it to the list, because uh, I always had trouble with, I was always kind of iffy about Star Trek 2 anyways, because I was like, I knew... You probably have it on your list. If you did, it was going to be higher than eight or lower than eight, however you want to say it. And so I was like, I knew I was going to steal it from you if you did, in fact, have it on your list, because I was pretty sure you would. And so I was always kind of like, eh, like I have other movies I'd rather have on here. And so I kind of was like, planning on taking it off. And so, yeah, anyway, Poltergeist, I just was like, okay, boom, there we go. Finally, okay, <laughs> take Star Trek 2 off. Um, but yeah, I've got it on my backup at number 13, just in case for some reason I was wrong and I'd got, you know, and you'd stolen something and cause I definitely wanted it, you know, I felt like we should talk about it, but anyway, but yeah, good choice. Definitely a solid number two. Um, definitely, like I said, if we were doing my preferences, it probably would have been my number two or at the very least number three on my list, but <clears throat> Uh, all right, moving on though to my actual number two. Um, I've got uh, an officer and a gentleman uh, with an IMDb rating of 7.0, a 78% tomato meter, and an 81% audience score uh, with a 75 meta score. Uh, directed by Taylor Hackford, screenplay by Douglas Day Stewart, uh, stars Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, Louis Gossett Jr., David Keith. Robert Loja, Lisa Blount, Lisa I. Baker, and Tony Plana. Uh, Zach Mayo is a young man who has signed up for the Navy Aviation Officer Candidate School. He is a Navy brat who has a bad attitude problem. Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley is there. Sorry, uh, is there to train and evaluate him, and will clearly find Zach wanting. Zach meets Paula, a girl who has little beyond family and must decide what it is he wants. Yeah, and he must decide what it is he wants to do with his life. Okay, that was a little confusing, but anyway, so basically Richard Gere is the son of a um, pilot and um, who, and him and his dad don't have a very good relationship. He basically doesn't really have anywhere to go. He's kind of aimless through life. Uh, he does have a passion for being a pilot. Um, and so he goes and joins. Um, but he's very cocky, very sure of himself, just very um, snotty or whatever. And uh, that doesn't really sit too well um, with uh, his gunnery sergeant, played by Louis Gossett Jr., um and there's a lot of tension there um but he's kind of determined to make a man out of this kid anyway um and then meanwhile there's this great romance between richard gear and deborah winger um what i like about the movie is it's another one of those it, it plays very real like it feels um like the the characters in the situations while somewhat movie-esque or whatever you know like fictionalized it does feel like these are real characters um they don't they don't really necessarily move along based on a plot or based on what how the movie 
you know, needs them to. Uh, it kind of feels like, you know, two real individuals. Um, the, the love story anyway. And like I said, the other stuff does too. The, I think the the stuff with Lewis Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere is definitely more movie kind of predictable in the way that their relationship plays out. Um, and there's another relationship between Richard Gere and his buddy in the, in the boot camp um, played by David Keith. That is, is really the, to me, the emotional center of the movie. It really, um, and as far as memorable, like impact, um, but I won't, I won't go into that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I will say I'm not really a big fan of Richard Gere. Uh, I never have been. Um, I didn't watch this movie until I was an adult. I mean, it was probably about 10 years ago that I finally, I mean, I'd seen it. It was on TV and I'd see little bits and pieces of it. I was familiar with it. I, of course, knew the ending, you know, where he goes in in his Navy uniform and suits her off her feet or whatever. I think I knew that from like parodies or something like or some but anyways um but yeah so i was i was never a fan but like watching this movie and he's not i mean he's not necessarily great in it but he's likable i you know i i, I you know i, I kind of i like him in this movie i don't I, I still don't think he's a great actor um but i do kind of see the appeal um of why you know he definitely has that kind of screen charisma um and so, yeah, he just, you know, he, so he is very likable here, but, uh, but yeah, this is just one of those crowd pleasing movies. It's just, it's, it's very entertaining. It's moving. Um, it's, it's powerful dramatically. Uh, and like I said, to me, it's that relationship between, I love Deborah Winger. She's, she's just, she's, she's a natural, like she's just one of those actresses who just, I mean, she just, she just is just, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Um, but, uh, and she's, she's super lovable too. And uh, but anyway, the, the 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 relationship between those two is what really like to me drives the movie. And like I said, they just feel like real characters, like the really like a real romance, um, you know, playing out um, before our eyes. And I don't know. I, I really enjoy it. Have you have you seen this movie? No, no, it's on my to watch list. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Let me see if I've got anything to add here. I don't. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, this was the third highest grossing film of 1982. Oh, um, Dwight Yoakam um, appears in the movie as a lead singer in the band uh, playing "Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree," um, which is interesting. And. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, Jeff Bridges was Taylor Hackford's original choice for the lead role, um, but he turned it down to a busy schedule. I do feel like he would have been su better suited for the performance. Um, I, I, I think the movie would have been even better um, because I do think he, um, I don't know. Like, like I said, Richard Gere to me is just a pretty face. Like he's charming and whatever, but there, there's not really any acting there and there and there's some scenes in this movie where when Richard Gere is is going for effect and 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 being dramatic it's it's kind of hard to take it's just, it just doesn't quite ring true and I feel like Jeff Bridges would have nailed that um so I I I, I, I do kind of wish Jeff Bridges had had played the role but 
but it is what it is. It's still, still to me, a really solid movie entertainment. This, this probably is number two on my list more for my preference for it. I, you know, I, I can't say it's a greater movie than Sophie's Choice. So I guess I kind of didn't quite stick true to myself, but <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> or stay true to what I was doing for the list. But anyway, that's all I got. Hmm. All right. Well, my number one is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. A 7.9 on IMDb. Tomato meter of 99% with an audience score of 72%. And a meta score of 91, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson. The film stars Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, Peter Coyote, D. Wallace, Robert McNaughton, K.C. Martell, Sean Fry, and C. Thomas Howe. Uh, the movie won Academy Awards for Best Original Score, Best Sound Effects Editing best sound and best visual effects spielberg received a u.n peace medal after a screening at the united nations after the film came out do, do, do. after a gentle alien becomes stranded on earth he is discovered and befriended by a 10 year old boy named elliot Bringing him into his suburban California house, Elliot introduces E.T., as he is dubbed, to his brother Michael and sister Gertie, and they decide to keep his existence a secret. Soon, however, he falls ill, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both him and Elliot. So if I'm thinking back on my childhood, which is further and further away, right? Um, there's certain cassette tapes I remember having around the house. Um, some of the main ones were um, Disney movies. Um, yep. I had The Wizard of Oz was a, was a main one. We had a um, theater production of Peter Pan. That was a big one. And then we had E.T. And I think I talked about this before. My dad is not the best with technology. But for some reason, he always had um, not, not the best, but like the newest stuff that was coming out. He had it. So we 
we had an Atari when Ataris came out. We had Nintendo when Nintendos came out. Um, I can remember as a, a little kid, he had the big uh, stereo system with the two speakers and all the lights that went up and down while you're listening to your records. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And yes, we, were, um, we were always a couple years behind. We, we were always like two or three years behind. Like I, I, I didn't get an Atari till Nintendo came out. And then I didn't get a, you know, a, a Nintendo to Super Nintendo came out. I was always like one like kind of console behind. And like, I don't think we got a VCR until a few years. And anyway. And it, yeah, it, it went that way when I was young, young. And then it kind of slowed down. Mainly because growing up, my dad was an he was an accountant for a um, construction company. So we moved every year, basically, and he would make good money for the mid eighties, you know, he, there's one year he brought home a hundred thousand dollars in the eighties. So I think that was one of the biggest reasons why we had some of those gadgets. Yeah, probably that (laughs) makes sense. But uh, the, the VCR and the tapes, I mean, tapes at, in the eighties were not cheap. Because initially, tapes were initially made to be rented, and they cost like a hundred bucks a piece. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's something else to. I mean, now we can go. I can you know click this button go back and see you can rent et on prime for three dollars and 99 cents yeah but in 1988 or whatever it was whenever the video cassette first came out yeah you could watch as many times as you wanted yeah if you had it yeah this i mean haven't really talked anything about the movie (laughs) (laughs) i i love the movie i love the um it's like the him flying through the air with et in the basket that's a thing yeah that's that's at the beginning of some movies yeah and it's also a pair i mean you see that image in so many other you know things and so it's yeah it's one of those things that just kind of become their own thing outside of the movie that you sometimes even for you know i mean you don't forget it's from et but it's almost become this like thing that's beyond the movie that you know it's like this universal thing that everybody recognizes
but yeah i think it's i think it's like the amblin like because like like amblin entertainment i think which is steven spielberg's company i think it's like the part of the logo or part of the like I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but like at the start of yeah. something, it'll show that. And I th- yeah, I think that's like Amblin Entertainment, which is Spielberg's production company. This movie was in theaters for a year. Yeah, which is just unheard of nowadays. But yeah. Harrison Ford filmed a cameo as Elliot's school headmaster mm-hmm. but the scene was cut um, <laughs> Richard Attenborough later said that he felt bad that his own film Gandhi beat this film uh, for best picture at the Academy Awards because he considered his friend Steven Spielberg's film more deserving of the old. And he was convinced that it was going to win. Yeah. And Spielberg worked on this movie and Poltergeist at the same time. Um, this was... Uh, the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide until Spielberg unsat himself with Jurassic Park. Um, adjusted for inflation, this movie is still the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Which that's, I mean, that's not too hard to think about knowing that it was in theaters for a year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but you have to you have to be a good movie to be able to be in theaters, for right? Oh, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like people have to want to see it again and again and again to warrant that kind of kind of time. So yeah, um, Deborah Winger provided the temp voice for ET. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, there's there's a a documentary based on the Atari video game that's based on this movie. Yeah, because it's like the worst video game of all time. Worst video, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the documentary, but I want to. I think I have seen it. I I bet it's good. Yeah, I'll have to to find it. $10.5 million budget. Um, I don't see it yet, but I know Eminem's turned down the the possibility of being mm-hmm. featured in the film, yeah. and that went to Reese's Pieces instead. Yeah, yeah. Best marketing. Big mistake. Yeah, like that was. Yeah. Nobody eats Eminem's anymore. <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If only Eminem. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever happened to the Eminem's? Man. <laughs> Well, there was other stuff too. I don't remember what it was. I think there was other product placement type stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember though. Uh, they order a pizza at the beginning. It's probably Domino's or Pizza Hut or something that I don't know. Who knows? 
There's two, there's so much. Funny enough, um, not I mean nobody nobody's really doing all that much work nowadays except for Drew Barrymore and she's not acting anymore. Yeah. Um Henry Thomas have struggled after this movie. Yeah. But he did have a like a a commercial spiritual um like follow up with this character playing this character again mm -hmm. three years ago I think yeah what do you think oh I mean yeah it's a, it's a <laughs> given I mean yeah it's ET I mean come on yeah this is definitely definitely would have been it probably still would have been my number two. I think my number one is 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 pretty solid as my number one, um, but just barely. I mean, there, uh, it's almost like a tie um, for this and my number one. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely my number one as a kid. Um, this you know up until probably ten years ago, this was definitely my solid would have been number one. Um, I. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to add about the movie, um, but like you, I have memories uh, uh, more of the experience of seeing the movie. And I remember I, I, it's one of the I have a handful. Uh, let's say, you know, five to ten solid like movie related memories from my childhood. And this is one of the top ones was watching this movie because I remember. I remember wanting to see the movie and it wasn't available on VHS for the longest time. And I remember it was a big thing, you know, like ET finally coming to VHS. He, you know, ET was like a big thing. And I remember, uh, you know, trying, and it was, I was sold, you know, it was, it was hard to find because, you know, everybody wanted to, wanted to watch it or remember anyway. And then, so I think it was a little while after it came out, but I remember my whole family and we didn't do this very often, but um, I remember my whole family sitting down to watch the movie and my grandparents were at, my, my mom's parents were actually in town as well. So it was like more of the family and it was just this, this big event and like everybody, it was just because none of us had seen it. No one, you know, none of the adults had seen it either. And so when it, when it came out in theaters and so it was just this big excitement, it's just one of those like, cause I'm, even then I was a huge movie lover like i i was i was that excited about movies at that age already but it was the first time that everybody else who weren't as obsessed with movies as i was were equally excited as i you know had been about movies and so it was just a, it, it, so yeah it was just this special kind of thing that uh where for once i wasn't the only one that was um super excited so it was just a nice fun memory i'll never forget that I can picture, I can picture the living room. I can picture the TV. I, you know, um, and uh, yeah, it was just one of those fun, memorable movie watching experiences. And then on top of that, the movie, of course, itself was just, you know, beyond 
expectations. Well, it's it's current. It's currently in IMAX. Yeah, in I, some I was places. Gonna, yeah, yeah. It, it, it played here at the IMAX. I was gonna I was gonna go see it, but I was busy. Uh, you know, I was away doing that that study that I told you about. But uh, yeah, I wanted to take the kids to see it in the IMAX, but they've they've seen it already, and so I was just like, so I, yeah, it didn't make it that disappointed but I, I and i did i did get to see it in the theater when it was re-released back 20 years ago back in 2022 when they released a special edition where he replaced the guns with walkie talkies and had a few additional scenes so i i was able to at one point see it in the theater so um i guess i'm kind of satisfied with that but yeah yeah jaws now jaws is being released in imax like this weekend i think that I would like to see. Um, that I may go see in IMAX. But, anyways. All right. We're moving on to my number one, um, which, like I said, I, I feel like for me ties with uh, ET um, as my, you know, the. Definitely the two best movies of, of 1982. Uh, but my number one is Tootsie uh, with an IMDb rating of 7.4, 90% tomato meter, 81% audience score, 88 meta score, uh, directed by Sidney Pollock, screenplay by Larry Gilbart, Murray Shizgal, and story by Larry Gilbart, Don McGuire, uh, and based on the, an idea by Dustin Hoffman. Uh, stars Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, Dabney Coleman, Charles Durning, Bill Murray, Sidney Pollock, George Gaines, and Gina Davis. Uh, Michael Dorsey is an unemployed actor with an impossible reputation. In order to find work and fund his friend's play, he dresses as a woman, Dorothy Michaels, and lands the part in a daytime drama. Dorsey loses himself in this woman role and essentially becomes Dorothy Michaels, captivating women all around the city and inspiring them to break free from the control of men and become more like Dorsey's initial identity. This newfound role, however, lands Dorsey in a hot spot between a female friend slash lover, a female co-star he falls in love with, that co-star that co-star's father who falls in love with him, and a male co-star who yearns for his affection. So this is... This is basically uh, just a comedic farce. Um, it's hilarious. It's, but it's also, uh, again, kind of like what I said about um, several of the movies. It's, it's more about the characters um, and the relationships than the plot. Um, and because the plot is really just a setup. There really, really isn't so much a plot driving the movie as the plot is just you know basically you've got this male actor pretending to be a female um and so the the arc of the movie like i said is, is really the, the, the is the character arc of this character um and then but also uh him learning about himself through becoming a female uh he kind of realizes both it both it changes his perception of both females and himself um and and then there's also a, a but but the movie is definitely not serious i mean it's very much a comedy um and a lot of the comedy comes from the fact that uh the character of michael 
or Michael falls in love with a, a, a female co-star who only knows him as Dorothy. Like everybody, you know, like nobody knows that he's playing Dorothy. Everybody believes that Dorothy is a real person. And so, but he falls in love with the female co-star who thinks that he's a woman. And so um, there's, you know, and that's kind of, you know, like old school comedy from, you know, like Marx Brothers types or, you know, like the old school kind of, you know, mistaken identity um, <clears throat> kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, th yeah, this is one of the, I'm like, I love this movie. It's just, it's so entertaining. And so just, I don't know. Uh, it's perfect. I just, this is one of the few movies I think is just perfect. I wouldn't change a thing about it. I don't, I don't think there's a single wrong step in the movie, everything, uh, both the comedy drama character, uh, performance is just spot on. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, uh, and very entertaining. Um, And let's see here. Dustin Hoffman first got the idea to do this film while working on Kramer versus Kramer, um, which is a movie about uh, a, a, a man whose wife leaves him and him and his son and just takes off and leaving him to take care of his son. And so he felt his character in that film had to be both a mother and a father. So we started thinking about how to play a man and a woman. Um, and so, and then, um, so he just kind of spitballed the idea and worked with screenwriters to, to create the idea. Um, in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the six, number 69 greatest movie of all time. Uh, it's included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die. Uh, it's included among the American Film Institute's 2000 list of the top 100 funniest American movies at number two. Um, and, uh, see one interesting side note is Sidney Pollack, the director plays Dustin Hoffman's agent and he didn't want to do it. He, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't have any, I mean, he's gone on to star in some movies, but at this time he didn't want to be an actor. Um, but Dustin Hoffman, uh, the relationship that they had was kind of that they had this kind of feuding relationship where they you would disagree on stuff and they would bicker back and forth. And Dustin Hoffman felt that that was perfect for his agent. Uh, it, you know, he, his, he didn't feel his performance was, was good in that, that he couldn't get where he needed to be. And he felt that Sidney Pollack, you know, would, would play that um, very well. Um, and then uh, Bill Murray actually um, didn't want billing on the, on the film. Um, uh, you know, on uh, above the on, in, in the beginning credits because he didn't want people to you know see Bill Murray and think oh this is Caddyshack or this is you know that kind of comedy. Um, so he basically went on build like nobody knew he was in the movie until they they went and saw it, and I guess most of his dialogue was improvised. Um, but and I guess the last thing is Dustin Hoffman tried out his role as Dorothy by passing himself off as his daughter's. Aunt Dorothy at her parents' evening at school. And his performance was so strong, he actually convinced the teachers nobody ever suspected that he wasn't Aunt Dorothy. So, anyway, have you seen Tootsie? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, you need to. It's on my watch list. <laughs>
Fair enough. Well, I highly recommend it. Put it <laughs> put it towards the top of the list. Yep. <laughs> now that I know Bill Murray's in it. See, there you go. Of course. <laughs> Did you see that thing I sent you with Bill Murray? They're talking about Roadhouse. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, I well, I was with my kids and so I, I wasn't able to pay attention. I forgot to go back. I watched some of it. <laughs> I need, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I need to go rewatch it. But yeah, it was funny. I saw the first little bit of it when I didn't get to watch the whole thing. Anyways, all right. You want to go through your. Yeah. Top 10 movies of 1982. I have number one, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Number two, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Number three, My Favorite Year. Number four, Rocky III. Number five, Night Shift. Number six, The Dark Crystal. Number seven, Tron. Number eight, The Missionary. Number nine, The Toy. Number 10, Basket Case. The movie I took off because I did not feel comfortable talking about it. The World According to Garp. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was on my my backup that I didn't actually fill out for, but it was in my top 20. I was going to put on instead The Secret of Nim, but mm -hmm. I didn't remember enough of that one either. <laughs> yeah. You want to go through some of your other backups that you had? Uh yeah, Conan the Barbarian, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Swamp Thing. Blade Runner, and then I have these two just because I've seen them, which are Porky's and the Beastmaster. Yeah, and I did recently watch I, the Beastmaster. I, yeah, we talked about it and how it didn't hold up. Very well. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, all right. Uh, so for my top ten movies of 1982, I've got number one Tootsie, number two. An Officer and a Gentleman, number three, Diner, number four, Sophie's Choice, number five, The Verdict, number six, The Thing, number seven, Death Trap, number eight, Poltergeist, number nine, The Long Good Friday, and number 10, 48 Hours. And I had as my backup, I had a movie called Diva. Uh, which was a it's a French film. Uh, it's like a thriller. It's actually really good. Uh, number twelve. I had another obscure movie called Smash Palace, uh, which is about a father who like gets divorced and loses his daughter and like fights to get back. It's really kind of especially if you've got kids. It's really powerful. Uh, number thirteen, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Um, number fourteen, Tron. And number 15, Victor Victoria. So, all right. Well, that finishes up our top 10 movies of 1982. Uh, thank you for joining us for part two, where we went through our top five through one. And uh, let us know what you thought of the movies uh, we discussed uh, and feel free to share movies you feel like we missed 
and um, until next time, we'll and we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you later.